You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City KCPC Cabino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, May 4th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. KVMR's Heidi Starr reports from Camp Resolution, checking in with residents of the encampment in the wake of an innovative lease agreement between unhoused people and the city of Sacramento. Today's strike update comes from the California Report as Oakland teachers and TV and film writers hit the picket lines. We end with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Teachers with the Oakland Unified School District are on strike. This comes after teachers and the district failed to come to an agreement on a new contract. Ishmael Armendariz is the president of the Oakland Education Association, the union representing teachers. Our team is here. We're ready to go. We just need a partner on the other side to come and then engage in the process with us. Some schools might remain open, but will have limited staff available. The district has nearly 35,000 students. TV and film writers are taking to the picket lines for the third day after failing to reach an agreement with Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Here to tell us what that means for your favorite TV shows and the writers who make it happen is Michael Schneider, senior TV editor for Variety and the host of Screen Grab, a podcast from KCRW. Michael, welcome. Hello, hello. So why are Hollywood writers striking and what are their demands? Uh, well, there are a number of demands, but but key among them is a lot has changed in the TV industry in general. The way we watch television has changed, but the way writers are compensated uh, is still sort of reflects the way things used to be. These days, uh, most television shows on streamers last for maybe six to eight episodes. So there are fewer episodic fees. There are fewer staff members who write these shows. But then most importantly, these days, streamers hold on to shows. They they don't sell them into syndication. There's no back end. There's no opportunities to you know really see the fruits of your labor. And writers feel like they've been sort of left behind by this revolution. And so now that they're on strike, what does this mean for everyone's favorite show? And what programs will be immediately affected? Well, the shows that are immediately affected are the late night talk shows, which have already gone off the air. Those are shows that are written every single day. So clearly there was no way to move forward. Uh, Also, Saturday Night Live, which is live every single week. Uh, could not move forward. So that'll be in repeats as well. But longer term, as shows run out of scripts and they have to shut down production, uh, we may see a stoppage in a lot of your favorite shows. You might not see that for a while because, again, the streamers have stockpiled a lot of their shows. They produce these shows months and months in advance. So it might not be until the fall or early next year that you'll start to really see a stoppage in your traditional favorite shows. And we know this isn't the first time that writers went on strike. They did it back in 2007 as well. What's the difference between that strike and this one now? Well, in 2007, it was also about what was then called new media. But back then, we really didn't know what new media was going to look like. This was before the streaming revolution. Now, uh, we know exactly what the streaming revolution has looked like and what the new structure is. So with that now sort of in place, it's about the future. It's about, okay. This industry has changed, so 
how is compensation going to change? How are streaming residuals going to change? And how will we reflect the fact that uh, middle-class writers aren't getting the kind of substantial work that they once did? And can the industry figure out a new way to compensate these writers as a result? And 15 years ago, that strike lasted about 100 days. Do you expect this one to last as long? I think there's a possibility that this could last throughout the summer uh, because the other factor going into this is that the Directors Guild and also the Screen Actors Guild, SAG-AFTRA and DGA, both also have contracts that, that are expiring with the producers in the coming months. They're facing a lot of the same issues that the writers are also facing. So a lot of those same issues are going to come up again as those negotiations go on and there's a chance of more strikes. Uh, and at some point, we may have three different guilds that are all negotiating for the same thing. Wow. And finally, what are the economic concerns of a prolonged strike? Well, the e economic concerns happen in a number of different ways. It's not just writers. Ultimately, everyone involved in productions will be impacted both above the line and below the line. The artisans, uh, costume designers, makeup artists, uh, you know, set designers, production designers, everyone involved in production will be impacted. Uh, you know, this is a long tail uh, of an industry, and that could have ramifications for uh, the economy in places like Los Angeles, just as it did in 2007, 2008. That was Michael Schneider, senior TV editor for Variety and the host of the podcast Screen Grab from KCRW. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks so much. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at Guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. After years of trying to build a monument for Japanese Americans who were incarcerated during World War II by the federal government, the L.A. County city of Torrance is finally moving forward with the project. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi explains. The plan is to build 12 black granite walls and list the 160,000 or so names of those who were wrongfully imprisoned during World War II. Nancy Hayata is part of the nonprofit World War II Camp Wall, created to get the project done. She says it will not only serve as a memorial, but also as an educational display. We want to teach of this injustice and also teach that this can't ever happen again to anybody, any place, anywhere. She says the project was first brought to the Torrance City Council in 2019, but was just approved last week after funding was secured in the form of a $5 million grant from the state. Hayata says the monument is the first of its kind in the country. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. Many NBA fans have a rooting interest in the Warriors-Lakers series, especially here in California. But it's a difficult choice for one former NBA player. Michael Thompson played 13 seasons in the league and is now a broadcaster for the Lakers. The problem? His son Clay is a star guard for the Warriors. Clay was only one when the teams last met in the playoffs, and that was Michael's last season in the league as he played for the Lakers. Tough choice. 
And that's the California Report for Thursday, May 4th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening, and may the 4th be with you. In regional news, police in Davis announced this afternoon that a former UC Davis student, 21-year-old Carlos Dominguez, has been arrested and charged in three recent stabbings that terrorized the community. Police Chief Darren Pytel said at a news conference that on Wednesday afternoon, law enforcement received a cluster of 15 phone calls from citizens near Sycamore Park reporting citing a person who matched a description that had been provided by police. Pytel said when arrested, Dominguez had a large knife on his person. He has been charged with two counts of homicide in the killings of David Bro and Kareem Abu Nam and one count of attempted murder for the stabbing attack on Kimberly Guillory, who is recovering from her wounds. He is at the Yolo County Jail. The police chief said the motive in the attacks is unknown. A collection of Nevada County organizations, including Bright Futures for Youth, plans to conduct a survey next Tuesday through Thursday to determine how many of our local children and young adults are experiencing housing instability. Nevada County Continuum of Care and Bright Futures for Youth Safe Program are encouraging people 25 years and younger and experiencing homelessness to participate in the Youth Point in Time Count Survey. Surveys will take place at the Community Library Annex on the North San Juan Ridge and at the Safe Drop-In Center in Grass Valley. Meeting times at the San Juan Community Library Annex are from 10 a.m. to noon and 6 to 7 p.m. next Tuesday, May 9th. The new Safe Youth Drop-In Navigation Center at 200 Lytton Drive in Grass Valley will schedule meetings from 3 to 7 p.m. Wednesday, May 10th. Despite a recent heat wave, NID snow courses are measuring at 230% of average. That's the conclusion of a news release issued today by the Nevada Irrigation District. NID said the district measured an average of almost 62 inches of snow water content during its May survey, even though major warming drove up temperatures in the Sierra Nevada late last month. The historical May 1st average water content is about 27 inches. NID conducts its snow surveys on five snow courses of varying elevations. The May survey found snow depth at Bowman Reservoir was 74 inches, while the water content equivalent was 36 inches. By comparison, the April survey measured 107 inches of snow depth with a water content equivalent of 47 inches. Seasonal precipitation at Bowman as of May 1st stands at almost 90 and a half inches, 140% of average. And now to your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. A slight chance of showers continues into Saturday with cool temperatures through the weekend. In Nevada City and Grass Valley tonight, showers likely with a low around 42. Friday will be mostly cloudy with a high near 55. Friday night, a chance of showers with a low around 42. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, a chance of rain and snow showers and some thunder with a low near 29 and southwest wind up to 10 miles per hour. Little or no snow accumulation is expected. Friday, a slight chance of rain and snow showers, a high near 42, a low around 29, and southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Less than half an inch of snow accumulation is expected. In Sacramento and Woodland tonight, a chance of showers before midnight with a low around 50 
and south wind up to 11 miles per hour. Friday, partly sunny, with a high near 68, a low around 52, and south wind up to 11 miles per hour. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. In a highly unusual move, the city of Sacramento has struck a lease agreement with residents of a homeless encampment. This is the same North Sacramento camp that the city threatened to clear away entirely just a few months ago. KVMR's Heidi Starr visited Camp Resolution and talked to its people about their hopes for the future. My name is Sharon Jones and we're at Camp Resolution at uh, 2225 Colfax Street and... We signed a lease with the city to lease this property for 120 days or until everybody is housed on this property. On March 24th, a Sacramento homeless encampment called Camp Resolution celebrated an unprecedented lease agreement, which allows them to remain on city-owned property until all 50 of them are permanently housed. The city promised to provide 33 trailers to the site. On April 11th, the first trailer arrived, which will be used for administration at the self-governing camp. And last Wednesday, April 26th, the first five residential trailers were delivered. The trailers, which can sleep three people, were given to the city by the California Office of Emergency Services in 2020 to quarantine COVID-positive homeless people at Cal Expo. They had been sitting vacant since 2021. I spoke with Camp Resolution residents about their recent victory. We started out on the county side over by the creek, by Stillhead Creek, and uh, sister-in-law Holly's quadruple And we're in a flood zone over there. And the water came up and we couldn't get Holly out and the fire department wouldn't help us. It took us girls and her dad to get her out of there. So I said, we're gonna go, we're gonna get higher ground. And they had already been on this lot before, left them from here. What does that mean? They take all your belongings, your animals, it doesn't matter. They take it all. And uh, swept them again viciously, real viciously, the last time, last April. And uh, promised them that the original 2020 siding plan that uh, Daryl Steinberg came up with, um, this was one of the sites. All they paid for was a fence and uh, locked everybody out didn't contact anybody after they promised them that they were going to be put back on the onto the lot as in the tiny homes that they were going to put here in the siding plan who is it that comes in and sweeps the city uh code enforcement the police uh the tow truck drivers uh forensic clean come and tag a few days before and say you have 48 or 72 hours and and then they just come back and are at it Anything that has a tag on it, they just start towing them. Everything that they own? Everything. And having this done to you repeatedly is very traumatic. So that was our goal. We wanted Holly to be safe, so the gate was the front gate was open and we came in. Anthony Prince is lead organizer and general legal counsel for the California Homeless Union. He represents the Residents' Council at Camp Resolution. The lease specifically identifies the residents of camp resolution as intended beneficiaries of the lease. That was not the case in the original lease that the residents uh, could not support and was rejected. So this new lease, this modified lease, empowers the homeless 
and commits the city to keeping the camp open until such time as every single resident is individually housed in durable, permanent housing, which is unprecedented by way of any kind of agreement that we're aware of with any city or county in the United States, let alone California. That's a significant development. We negotiated for over a period of about three weeks, and within the last two weeks it was signed by all the parties, and we're in the process now of implementing that agreement. What made you happy about this lease agreement? What kind of the language? The language, and the, the, the language, language. Yeah. the language that our that our lawyer and the city made us happy with the lease more so than before. <laughs> yes, they have forty five days to house Holly, and that was our one of our big sticklers in the agreement was that Holly got housed because she couldn't go up in any of the trailers. She can't, that won't fit in any of the trailers. They're not ADA. Resident Don hopes the camp resolution can be a helpful transition for many people in the months to come. This has never happened before. We made history with this. We just need to stick together, not just the people here, but those that are out there in Sacramento sleeping in tents, sleeping on the sidewalks. We're trying to make this place transitional. If you actually really want to get off the street, maybe get some job training, some kind of direction, you know, change your life. We're trying to make this place a, a, a second opportunity for you. The city views this agreement as a pilot project and Camp Resolution residents hope to be an inspiring role model as Sacramento and communities nationwide grapple to find solutions to the crisis of homelessness. For KVMR News, I'm Heidi Starr. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. The other day, I was talking to a friend. I can't remember exactly about what. It was either how people don't like discussing death or about not procrastinating. And then she said, One time when I was visiting my parents, my dad asked if I wanted to help him weed-eat his grave. I haven't had living parents in a long time. Mine were 56 and 67 when they died and never talked to us about their burial plans. We took it on ourselves to scatter my dad's ashes all over the country. My mom was more prepared but did most of her arranging with her older sister and was buried in the family plot next to her parents. Us kids weren't involved in that side of things, though she did warn us she wanted more than half her ashes in the grave and not scattered all over the country. The idea that my friend's parents, A, had plots already, and B, were keeping those tidy while they were still alive, completely floored me. And somehow, weed-eating made the whole thing hilarious. This springtime backyard chore is so mundane and so much about living, whereas a grave is, you know, somber and profound. No laughing matter. Except we couldn't stop laughing. I'm still laughing. Every time I hear a weed-eater, which is daily since the grass is growing fast after all our rain this year, I think about that orange string and how pulling the cord to start the engine is like starting a motorboat, and that little thing of oil you have to mix with the gas. My friend's parents got markers that lie flat, so it's easier to clip the grass around them instead of the monument kind that stand upright. The practicality makes a lot of sense, but it still cracks me up. 
You know how when you're embarrassed, you can get the giggles? I think there's a little of that here, too. We don't talk about death in this country much. I have no idea what my octogenarian friends are planning to have done with their bodies. I've been hoping to donate mine to science, but I may be too fat. Don't you love that, fat shaming when you're dead? After much research, I found out UC Davis might take me, depending on what's going on in their morgue that day. But the only sure bet for my corpse is UC San Diego, which is 560 miles away. Does one take Southwest? Rent an Uber hearse for the transportation? And how much does that cost? There's a book I quite like and a TV show to go with it now called The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. It's about not leaving all your Tupperware, Star Wars memorabilia, and collection of cars that only need a new chassis, etc., for your family and friends to have to deal with after you die. Clean up after yourself now, and don't make them hate you when you're gone, and they should be focused on grieving. The Swedes are very open about all this. It's refreshing. I don't think my friend's parents are Scandinavian, but I'm sure it's not just their graves that are tidy. I'll bet their basement and closets are clean as a whistle. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, May 4th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from 1849 Brewing Company, brewing lagers, ales, also specialty IPAs and stouts, offering a pub-style menu, weekly live music, and an outdoor patio. Open seven days a week at 11 on Sutton Way in Grass Valley, 1849brewingcompany.com. And Green Acres Nursery and Supply, reminding listeners to consider drought-tolerant plants, drip irrigation, and organic amendments to keep landscapes thriving in low water years. IDigGreenAcres.com Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Friday at 6 for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.